Do you know, Christmas is coming. Have you noticed, nobody announces Christmas. They don't. You know, we know the season's begun. Usually, the end of September, early October, they start putting Christmas uh, stuff in the stores. Trees, lights, I'm like... Uh, we're skipping holidays here. Thanksgiving comes first. Uh, where's the fall decorations? Uh, and, they, and, 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 and then suddenly, 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 the music starts playing. Nobody tells you Christmas is coming. The music just starts. You like go to the store one day, or you click on the radio, and suddenly there's Christmas carols. Or there's... Uh, There's songs like it's, gonna, it's a beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, what's Christmas supposed to look like? I mean, because if you live in Florida, I've been Florida around that time, there's no snow. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty nice. And, and uh, my favorite, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I mean, these are, these are classic Christmas songs here. Or, or maybe, maybe it's something that's a bit more religious, like Silent Night, or Mary Did You Know, or You Three Kings. You know, maybe it's something like that. You know, I can't sing. You know, when I was young, I went Christmas caroling with my friend who couldn't sing. I think they paid us to shut up. Because there wasn't a door that didn't open to give us money. To move on to the next house. So, see, this change of music indicates that Christmas is about to come. And when Christmas is coming, you've got to admit, there's a lot to do and to get ready for. This is a busy, busy time of year. This is a busy, busy time of year for everybody. And these sentimental songs, these cheesy songs, because everybody loves loves. Cheesy Christmas songs too. I mean, it's not just me who likes cheesy Christmas songs. I mean, we like all songs, I think, but I'm sure there's more than me that likes the cheesy ones, you know. So, uh, and, the, and, the, and these songs wash over us during this season of, of Advent. Whether you're baking Christmas cookies listening to the radio, because you turn on the radio now and there's at least some Christmas songs on there, or you'd say... Alexa, or whatever you call the device in your house, play some Christmas music, and then you get some random Christmas music. And, uh, yeah, very random. And then, uh, but, but what that does is remind us, all, uh, it reminds us that there's so much to do. And then we watch our favorite uh, show on TV, and every other commercial, or basically every commercial, has a, has a cheesy Christmas song in it. Telling you your life would be better if you bought your wife or husband a Lexus for Christmas and put a bow on it. And I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday. And he, he, he was talking about a rich friend of his. And his rich friend uh, wife bought him a present one year. A Corvette. But he had to go sign for the payment book. 
Uh, I don't know about how she bought the Corvette for him because he signed the he signed the payment book. But but I don't know who buys a car for somebody for Christmas is where I'm getting that because there's car commercials to sell you a car for Christmas. I don't understand it because the average Joe is not buying a car for Christmas. So but but these are. Songs that we hear when we we have our friends over, we hear Christmas songs, and then suddenly it's Christmas Eve. It goes that fast. This is the first Sunday. You, You will blink and Christmas will be here. And you'll go, did I get everything done? And I'll say, probably not. And if you're like me, you'll find something tucked under the Christmas tree a week later that didn't get handed out. And then you open it and say, hey, that's pretty good. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> Actually, we did have something we didn't give out last year. And uh, I had it. So, <laughs> yeah, it was edible, obviously. I, didn't, I don't just eat all sorts of presents. I only eat edible presents. And then, and then before you know it, it's January. And all the songs go back to normal. And everything goes back to normal like Christmas is just blinked. There's, there's. And the other sign of Christmas has begun is the appearance of nativity scenes. And you'll see them pop up here and there. Some people put them in their yards. Woodwood uh, Wood has one that you could drive around and they have a nice one there, a nativity scene. And I love nativity scenes. I sometimes make fun of nativity scenes only because I make fun of the little characters that, that have flipped over hair. If you, if you look at, if you look at the, our Jesus in the crib, in the one by, between the bathrooms, I'm telling you, he was born in the 80s because he's got his hair combed over one eye. So I'm telling you, he was born in the 80s. Uh, but uh, I love nativity scenes. But have you noticed how, how that Mary looks remarkably unexhausted in every nativity scene I see after she's just gave birth to a baby? I don't know any woman that looks as like at, like her, she's got her makeup done, she's sitting there, she's next to, she's next to Joseph, she looks, she looks, and then you've got the animals. The animals are just nonchalantly laying there. And their food trough has baby Jesus in, so they don't even have any food. It's like nobody cares. And you look at these, so, so you have this, the, these, these, these nativity scenes that you can look at, that I love, by the way. I love the nativity scenes. I'm not a big fan of the three wise men there, because they weren't at the stable. But I can, I can live with it, but I'm just not a big fan of that, that part of it. I love the three wise men, and I think they're a part of the Christmas story, even though it was probably a couple years later when they showed up. But there's also some negatives about them. Because we can, we can see these scenes, and they, it's sentimental, sent, sentimental I, never, I shouldn't use big words because I can't say them. This scene, it, it makes you emotionally connected to the scene of this first Christmas. And we can just look at it and go, oh, isn't that sweet? And they give you a warm feeling that says, I like Christmas. How about you? 
There's nothing there to deal with that makes us think there's nothing that says, listen. See, so the next four weeks, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four songs. The first four songs that were sung at Christmas, which were heard before, during, and after the birth of the baby Jesus. Because he is who lies at the center of Christmas. And when we take Jesus out of Christmas, we do not have Christmas anymore. We have Mass. And you have to go there every day. (laughs) So, but really, you take Christ out of Christmas, what are you left with? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, to do this... We're going to be first, we're going to be in the first few chapters of Luke, and only in Luke. We're going to be jumping around probably some other scriptures, but we're, the, all, the, all the songs are in Luke. So, so you can just read that over and over again to actually get that in your head, the story of the birth of Christ. I think, I think Luke tells the story better to me than anybody else, so... so so he is one of the four historic accounts of Jesus. And remember, Luke, Luke's job is a doctor. Luke was a doctor, so he was pretty smart. And he went about writing the book of Luke to write all the events that happened in his lifetime. This, these, these events had been happened where he was connected to the original people that would have witnessed these events, okay? They were still alive. Because that's a big question. There's so many questions in, in like, like about the Christmas. Well, and we'll answer some of them over the next few weeks. But, but he punctuates this story of the birth of Jesus with a series of songs, he doesn't give us these songs or poems for them to just wash over us. Like all them nice hymns do. And when you sing the songs that, that talk about him. These are to get into your heart and change you. Not just today, but for the rest of your life. He doesn't give us these songs for any other purpose. You see, that, this is a playlist that helps us prepare for Christmas properly. And to celebrate Christmas joyfully. See, there's a lot of people, and I said this before, there's a lot of people that this time of year sucks. I was talking to, I've got the hospice patient and I was at the, visiting the hospice patient and the nurse came in uh, that, that was taking care of this patient from hospice too. And she said to me, uh, it seems like, from thank- well, she said this time of year, and I said, yeah, from, from Thanksgiving till the beginning of the year. And this is going to sound weird. It's a busy time of year for people who work in that field. Seems like a lot of people die. I don't know if, if it's more people die at that time of year or because of the time of year, you notice more. 
you notice more. I don't know what it is. But, but it, it seems like there's a lot of people that, that, that are gone. So, so saying that, that means there's a lot of people at this time of year that are sad because it either drums up memories of something that they've lost. And even if they didn't die in this period, if you're going through the first year without these people in your life, there's always the first, the first birthday, the first Father's or Mother's Day, the first uh, whatever, the first Christmas, the first Thanksgiving, that you have to go through a holiday and you go, where are they? So, so but, but uh, before we start, I, wanna, I want to introduce you to the beginning of, of Luke's Gospel. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as these who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Philopheus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. See, Luke clearly wants us to understand that he is reporting facts. He's reporting facts. He's not making stories up. These aren't a bunch of mythological stories. Like I used to say before I became a Christian, the Bible's full of folk stories. They're all made up. No, these are real stories that really happened. And, and people go, well, how can you believe in the virgin birth? Well, do you know, scientifically today we could make, if scientific, scientists today could make a, a woman who never had sex get pregnant, because we can, we can, doctors can artificially inseminate her. That means she is still a virgin and she would get pregnant and give birth. If scientists can do it today, I don't think God would have a problem seeing as he created the whole universe. You know, people go, how can you believe that? Well, I, be- I also believe that God created everything. You see, and I don't know who said this, but somebody once said, Christians believe in a virgin birth, okay? Non-Christians, people who believe that the, the universe was created out of nothing, believe in a virgin birth of the universe. Which is more, you, you both believe in something, Something came from nothing. You see, Luke is, is, is also not offering us these events as poetical speculation. He's offering them as pure history. This will raise the stakes for you and me as we consider these events. It will prove challenging and liberating. For we are considered not... we. We are considering not a sweet baby who never says anything, but the one of whom it is claimed that he was the Son of God. 
And John, when John talks about the, the, the birth of Christ, he calls him the Word became flesh. And now we can go back to the beginning of the Bible when God speaks. That is who he's talking about, Jesus. Jesus was in the first part of the Bible. He's in the last part of the Bible. He's in the whole Bible. Not just part. He's not something that just popped up in the New Testament. See, there's a story of an archbishop in England that was talking to to Jane Fonda, the actress. And at some point, the archbishop says, Jane, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jane answers back, well, he may be the Son of God for you, but he isn't the Son of God for me. To which the archbishop smartly replied, Jane, he either is or he isn't. He can't be both. Either he is or he isn't. He can't be for me. Somebody cannot tell me. He may be for you, but he isn't for me. He's either not for me and not for them, or he is for me and he is for everybody. So today we're going to... be in Mary's song, and we're going to to find out what is God like? What is God like? What do you think about when you think about God? Which words come to your mind when you think about God? See, all of us have a view of God. All of us have a view of God. I think most people in the world have some view of a God and what God is like. See, some think he's non-existent. That's a thought, by the way, about God. Or distant, or he's everywhere, or he's loving, or he's angry, or maybe he was angry in the Old Testament, but he's lovey-dovey, nice guy in the New Testament. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you've read the New Testament, Jesus does not portray a nice, calm guy all the time. He's a loving guy all the time. But he is angry just as much as God in the Old Testament was angry. See? Or maybe it's just this fluffy feeling you have. See, perhaps that view is based on an initial hunch or a feeling or on what your family believed. See, we learn from our family. So if we get told God is non-existent, we believe God's a non-existent until he slaps us in the face and he finds us where we're lost. Or maybe your family never talked about God, like my family never talked about God. If you don't talk about him, I would be in the... He's a not... I, I can tell you, I've probably watched more the birth of Jesus movies than anybody in this room before, before I was 16. Probably watched the, 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 the whole story of the birth of Christ more than everybody in this room. Because every single Christmas on English TV, we only had four channels my whole life. I think I had three channels for the first part of my life. Then we had four. There's a few more now. 
Every single channel you'd flip to had some sort of Jesus story on there about Jesus. Every single Christmas. And guess what? I watched it because I thought it was a good movie. Not because I thought Jesus was real. But they played it every single year. There's two movies I've watched every single year, probably from the time I was five to the time I was 18. Every Christmas Day. Jesus movie and Goldfinger. (laughs) There are two movies that they played every year on, on the TV. So after you've unwrapped your presents and you're bored with all your toys that you didn't get because you wasn't in a wealthy family, so you, most, of your clothes, most of your presents were clothes, so you built your Lego or you've done this, what's on TV? Just like any kid today. And uh, they were the things that were on TV. The Jesus movie and uh, Goldfinger. The best Bond movie ever. You see, some of us expand a lot of mental energy wrestling with the question of the reality and nature of God. Others give it more, no more than a passing thought. Whichever category you're in today, everyone thinks something about God and lots of us think different things about God. See, so the question is, how do we know That we've got this right. How do we know that we as Christians have this right? Imagine if you had an experience or an encounter. And that encounter enabled everything to click into its place. So that you weren't just guessing anymore, but you really truly did know about God. Whether he is there and what he is like. That would be an amazing thing. This is exactly that kind of experience which sparks the first song in Luke's account of the, of the first Christmas. See, a song which gives us two words that describe the God who is really there. This is Mary's song, a song inspired by her role in the events of the first Christmas. But in this song, Mary doesn't sing about herself but about God. We live in a me generation today. Mary didn't boast. She sang about God. You see, this is a song that pours out from her heart and is bursting with emotion. See, when all extraordinary meets ordinary. You see, the story behind the song is a familiar story, even if you're not a regular church. Most people know this story. You know, the angel Gabriel came down and he goes, Hey, Mary, who's a young teenager. You're going to conceive a child. And she goes, oh, I can't because I'm a virgin. How am I going to 
I'm not married. I can't have a baby. I'm, I'm, uh, this would be, no. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Just if you don't know. I've got my Bible reading the verse. I'm paraphrasing. And, he, and she's like, that's not going to happen, God. Dead well to the angel. That's not going to happen. And then, and then, with a combination of natural and supernatural, the interweaving of the very ordinary and the clearly extraordinary happened. You see, a lady is going to have a baby. Is that extraordinary? That can happen all the time. That's ordinary news. But the baby is going to be conceived by God himself. That's a bit extraordinary. The announcement is made by an angel sent from heaven. That's pretty supernatural. I mean, if you knew somebody that was having a baby, it would be pretty awesome to have the angels announce that they were having a baby, wouldn't it? You know, we, we, we now put it on Facebook or whatever you do when you announce a baby. Can you imagine? Horde angels come down and announce your baby. Hey, that would be pretty awesome. I don't think they're, they're out for hire though. But then Mary responds in the most natural way. After she finds out that she's going to be... Uh, have a baby conceived she says I need to go and talk to somebody about this and so she goes to Zachariah and Elizabeth's house Luke 39 through 40 says, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country in the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And another miracle. Elizabeth is decades older. Been childless her whole life. And Zechariah was told... While he was in the temple making offering, that his wife was going to be have a baby, and it was going to be named John, and he was going to be the foreshadow of, of Jesus. He was going to let everybody know that Jesus was coming. So she's pregnant too. Elizabeth's pregnant. This sounds like a, a little house party for the for the pregnant women here going on. So so Mary goes to see her, her Elizabeth, who miraculously is pregnant, and she must love it because her husband can't talk until the baby's born. I mean, that must be great. She's like, whew, I can complain all I want, and he can't say a word because God's not going to let him speak until whenever, whenever he names the baby. So... This is like a girl's night in. It is. You know, I could imagine this today. Two women, same friends, few few months apart in their pregnancy. Hey, let's get together, watch Netflix or Hallmark Channel so we can cry all night. And eat popcorn and feel each other's tummies and talk about it. Saying stuff like, what are you going to do about getting a crib? 
Where are you going to get the crib from? What color are you going to paint the room? But she walks in this room. Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, that's who's in her belly, jumps in the womb. Because he was in the presence of God Almighty. Because little baby Jesus was forming in Mary's belly. Pretty special moment. And it is while Mary is with Elizabeth that she breaks out in this song. After that event, Mary breaks out in song. And this is what she says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those humble in, of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to his father, to our fathers, to Abraham, and to all his offspring forever. See, God is mindful of me. He was mindful of her. When Mary first speaks, she initially talks in terms which are very personal. For he has made, been mindful of the humble state of his servant, the NIV says. From now on, all generations will be blessed. In other words, God has been mindful of me, Mary says. He is mindful of you. See, God could have found a rich, noble, powerful queen who lived in a palace to carry Jesus. He could have. That's not his style. But he could have. But he chosen not to do that. He come instead to a lowly girl who has no apparent significance whatsoever. That is who he comes for. People who feel like they are low and don't matter. See, the Oxford Dic- English Dictionary defines mindful as taking thought or taking care, or keeping remembrance of something. And Mary says, this is why my soul glorifies, and she focuses on the greatness of who? The Lord. And why her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior, because he has taken thought of her. He has taken care of her. She is in his remembrance. She may very She may be very little in the eyes of the world, but she is valuable in the eyes of the one who made the world. See, you 
God is being mindful of you. You are valuable to God. You personally are valuable to God. He created you. You belong to him. And he cares for you. God is mindful of us as a people. See, Mary doesn't just simply sing simply in personal terms. At the end of her song, Mary sings in people terms. See, he has helped his servant Israel, a whole nation, remembering that's the same word as mindful. That word remembering is the same word as mindful. You see, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, the significance of this is huge. God is not just being mindful of Mary as an individual, but he's also being mindful of his people as a whole. See, Mary in this song finds her significance in the fact that she gets to be a part of God's plan for all of his people. That's why I say I get to give to God. I get to preach God's word. I get to serve people. Because God wants to use you, but you have to allow him. You have to have a heart like Mary that, that, that looks at opportunity and grasps it. Genesis 12, 2-3 says, We see throughout the Old Testament, God, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was a promise that he gave to Abraham. I mean Jackie read from Genesis. And we go wow that's a Christmas verse. If I've ever heard one. Well, it is. That is the proto-evangelical. Is the, is the theological name for that verse that she read. Verse 316 is when, 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 when God says, I'm going to put enmity between the woman and... He doesn't use the man. You see, anybody who says Christianity is sexist is... Full of it. I mean the beginning of the Bible. It says I'm not going to use a man. To deliver these people. I'm going to use a woman. I mean how non-sexist is that? Feminists should love the Bible. I mean God chose to use a woman. When by the way in the day this whole book was written. Women were looked at. As less than. Most of it was they were looked at as property. God doesn't look at women like that. From the beginning, God planned to use a woman to bring salvation.
You see, we see throughout the Old Testament, God says continually to Abraham's descendant, who came to be called Israel and known as Judah, I am mindful of you. I am watching over you. I am remembering you. And I will fulfill the promise that I gave you. When, you tr- when, when Abraham tried to fix the problem himself, he just caused more problems. See, he sent prophets. These are his spokespeople to reaffirm the promises. So, for instance, we see in Isaiah, said centuries before Mary was born in Israel. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Mighty, called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the, of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to, sta- to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, and the bright people of the time, when they heard this, will, will say, this must be part and parcel of the fulfillment of God, promised to Abraham. See, a son will be given who will fulfill all of God's promises because God is still mindful of us. He's still mindful of us. He doesn't forget us. We're all in this building because he remembered us. God provides fulfillment and security. See, the son was given... And then Mary says that God has indeed been mindful of her and that by being mindful of her, he has made, been mindful of his people as a whole. See, the son has been given the promise I've heard about are going to be fulfilled. And this is, this is where I'm going with this. If he fulfilled the past promises, do you think he's going to fulfill the, the future promises? I do. He hasn't stopped working. He's God. If he managed to pull this one out, I think he can finish the job. So this is what God is like. He is mindful and he is personally involved with the humanity that he created. See, all of the gods, which is crazy to me, Why would a God need me to do anything? Bring me food. Why would a God need to eat? You know? I don't understand it. Like all these other religions, it's what I can do for God. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and all other world religions. All other religions say, what can I do for you, God? Because you're useless and I have to do something for you. That's why you created me. Because you need me to do something for you. Yet God says, 
you're a bunch of losers, the God I believe in. You're going to sin and you're going to mess up your life. I'm going to send my own son to be born in the flesh, to live a life that you could not live, to die a death that you surely deserve, but raised from the grave to give you everlasting hope. That's the God we serve. You see, anything I do, I don't do because God needs me to do it. I do it because I get to do it because of what he's done for me. I get to serve him. Who wouldn't want to serve somebody? Who, even, even if somebody does something nice for you, do you want to do something back to them? Most people would say yes. Most night, normal people would say, if, if you did something nice to me, I would do something nice back to you. You would have to be very off to not want to do that. To just take, 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 take. So when God did so much for me, by the way, I deserve nothing. And he saved me. I personally know that I deserve to be just a blot on the, on the carpet. That I need, should be burned because I am a sinner. But I am saved by grace through Jesus Christ. So now I get to serve him and I get to, to try to obey him and follow him. I'm not going to do it perfectly. Neither are you. But it should, you should want to because he fulfilled his promises back then. And he will fulfill his promises in the future. That's why we can have security in him. But when we talk about greatness, in this world, greatness, we think of isolation. The more money I have, the longer driveway I can have. The bigger security fences I can have. If I have enough money, I can hire a couple of bodyguards. So you can't get nowhere near me. See, the more status you acquire, the more you can remove yourself from ordinary mass of humanity. See, people will have to come and approach you through official channels and so on. See, I was born in England, if you didn't know. I think everybody knows in here. So do you know what that makes me, by the way, being English? It makes me a subject, a subject, because I've got a king, of King Charles III now, because Queen Elizabeth died. So now I'm a, I'm a subject of King Charles do you think when King Charles took over kingship, he'd give me a phone call? Do you think he even knows who I am? No. You see, his greatness is revealed in how isolated he is from me. But God's greatness is revealed in his inter- intimacy with us. See, the fact that he wants a personal relationship with you. That's the other difference between Christianity and other religions. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him in prayer and ask him for things. He wants you to read his word and be a part of him. He wants you to get to know him. 
It's all relational. Christianity is a relational religion. If you want to use the word religion. You see, he does know your name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows about and cares about the responsibilities that weigh heavy on you. The quiet disappointments that gnaw at you. And the concerns that keep you awake at night. He knows all. See, he knows about your hopes and aspirations and the moments that you make your heart, the moments that make your heart sing. See, the creator of the universe is mindful of you. And that gives you value. Whether the world sees it or not. However you are treated by those around you. He is mindful of you. See, all of us, whatever our background or beliefs, have a picture of God. See, many of us have a God who we do not believe in because we do not like him. See, if you do not believe in God because he is distant, uncaring, and unhelpful, I understand. I don't believe in that God either. Over the next few weeks, I want to show you the God of Christmas and the God of all history. He is a God who knows you and cares about you and makes promises to you and he acts to help you. See, he is mindful of you. Hey, John, do I have another point up there that didn't show up on my thing? Yeah, I'm just going to load this back up. I thought I had five points and now I've only got four. Maybe I only have four. I know this. Okay. It's up on the screen. I am going to. I've got to see if, it will put, if this will pull up, but it won't. God is mighty over us. Verse 49 through 52 says... For he who is mighty has done great things for me and is holy in his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That don't work. Now I am going to wing it. God sends away. This, this is a play on the, next, the last point. See, we, God is mighty over us. So sometimes... Them things that we, 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 when I said God helps us, 
Some of them things that God takes away from you that you think you need, God takes them away so he can draw you closer to him. Sometimes, when have you ever noticed it said in the text, he sends away the rich. The reason he does that is because when you are rich, when you, when you feel like everything you have, everything that you have, you don't need God. Because look, I've got what I need. I'm happy, but really you're not happy. Do you know how I know that? Because I know people that over, over, over the years that are way richer than I'll ever be and anybody in this room will ever be that have committed suicide because they've chased money to make them happy. Sometimes God takes all of that away so he can draw you closer to him. See, just, just because... He doesn't do this to all people, by the way. There's, there's obviously rich Christians. I believe there's rich Christians, right? But, but again, just like the rich young ruler, what did the rich young ruler serve? His money. Because as soon as Jesus said, give away all you have and come follow me, he said... It doesn't even say what he says. He just disappeared. Because, because his money was more important to him than Jesus Christ himself. And sometimes God will let something happen in your life to draw you closer to him. Not push you apart. He is mighty over your whole life. He allows things to happen. Sometimes he doesn't cause them. But he allows them because he knows what the outcome is going to be. This year, I'm going to have been a Christian for 21 years. But I'm a Christian for 21 years because he, God allowed something tragic to happen in my wife's, my mother-in-law's, and, and my life. Somebody who was like a father to me, my wife's dad, died to bring me to Jesus. He allowed that to happen because he knew what would happen after that. And I believe in a God that could have stopped it. But he didn't. Because he was mighty over the life. My father-in-law Greg is in heaven now. But God used that. To draw me to him. Because he knew. He knew that, that I was not about to come to church. I was not about to, to, to give my life to Christ. I needed to lose something. And he allowed that to happen. He allowed the pain in my mother-in-law's life. He allowed the pain in my, my wife's life. He allowed the pain in my life. To glorify himself. Because he knew what was going to happen. In the moment, 
We don't. In the moment, we get angry. And we go, why God? Why would, if you really exist, why would you do this? Why would you let something like that happen? Because you have the power to stop it. I believe that now. I didn't believe it then. And I see, I'm seeing a lot of people lately, and I don't know that are close to death. And I don't know how anybody could go through that pain without knowing Jesus, without having a relationship with the creator of the universe, the one that formed our hearts that get broken in them times. Because he's the only one who can put it back together. He's the only one who can rebuild it. Because he is mighty. He is the creator of the universe. And sometimes he lets all of, you, all of what you, you worship in this world just disappear. And I can tell you this. If God takes away everything from me, and I'm talking everything, my family, everything, he is still God. And I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve my family. They are all gifts from God. The same goes from you. The greatest gift he gave you was his son. And if you have put your trust fully and follow him fully. That is what being a Christian is all about. Is following Jesus. Loving Jesus. Not because we have to. Because we get to. He's the only one that can fix your heart, your broken heart. He's the only one that you need to trust. Because as long as I have Jesus, I have everything. I say this, I've said this many times, everything, everything that I've had. And I said this, I think last, uh, last week when I was talking about Thanksgiving. My dad was just on loan to me. God was the creator of my dad. He gave him me for a short time. And he took him away. And, and, and I'm okay with that. Because I know where he is. But he also took my mom away from me 10 years ago. I don't know where she is. Don't know if she ever put a trust in, in Jesus. And I will tell you, today, I'm okay with that. I, she was just on loan to me. She was a great mother. My dad, for the last 20 years of his life, was a great dad. But they were just on loan to me. The same as all the people in your life. They're just on loan for you. God can take them back whenever he wants because they belong to him. They don't belong to you. Your money in your bank account don't belong to you. It belongs to him. Everything you have belongs to him. He has given you everything. And you go, well, I went to work. I earned it. No, God was mighty to create you in your mother's womb and give you all the the talents that you have and possess to go and get a job and make that money. 
He is always going to be mighty over you. You see, there's two choices. You can have a God that's mighty over you and you don't follow. And one day, you'll fall flat on your knees. But it won't be because you serve Him. It's because you don't know what to do because you're in in the Almighty's presence. Or you can one day fall on your knees and know why you've fallen on the knees. Because He's the Savior of the universe. The choice is yours. Just over 2,000 years ago, a baby was born that brought salvation to the world. He lived a life that you could not live. Have you fully surrendered your life to Him? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. To fully surrender to Him. It doesn't mean we're going to do this perfectly. Because we're not. But we know the Savior. That's what's important. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us, please, give us Mary's heart. A heart that, that is, a heart that, that fills us with how mighty and great you are. That you, O O Lord, You, O Lord, were the creator of the universe. You created each individual one of us. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to give our lives to you. Help us to follow you. Because you're the only person that can heal us in the hurt and pain that some of us are feeling this Christmas season. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to love and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.